if I was sat in front of a glass of cricket juice, in, in fact, if the both of us were, and Serge Ibaka said, hey, guys, it's Friday morning at 7.30. If Liam Duffy doesn't walk in the door, <laughs> you have to drink this cricket juice. We'd be sculling I hate to it, say eh? it, but we'd be sculling we'd cricket be juice. We'd be pumping litres of it. We would be pumping <laughs> litres of cricket ah. juice. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of Blokes and Their Balls. It's just the two of us. Um, that's a little shout out to Bill Withers because um, it's just the, the, the two consistent boys in the studio today. Um, yours truly, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver, of course. I feel comfortable calling me Brad. And my right-hand man, um, the resident sports guy, I have a lot to talk about. The man we know as the undertaker or Wellsy. It's Jed Wells, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, everyone. How are we feeling? Hoping to get the, hoping to get the energy up. We took a week off. Mm. Brad had some COVID going on. I was just a bit lazy. Mm. But we're back. We're feeling good. We're in charge. Liam Duffy is not here. He's currently facing the NRL judiciary over a bit of a high hit last week. Yeah, but grade one. Yeah, if he takes a plea, he'll be back hopefully within the month. So Yeah, it's, it feels, feels like it's been a while since we've seen our, our little mate. It is, but he's always with me right here. Yeah, he's always, he's always here in spirit. Yeah. It's always here in spirit. And talk about spirit. What a week of sport it was. What a week indeed. We've got all the leagues kicking, except for NFL, obviously, but everything else. But it almost feels like it still is. Yeah. NFL offseason. We'll get to it later. I don't know. It's been off the charts this year. Wild. I think they saw everyone else getting the attention. They're like, no, no, no. We're not not giving it up that easy. It's almost... It's been a fucking movie. It has. So there's plenty to talk about today, but as we always do, um, kick off in style with plays of the week. Yes, sir. So, may, may I take the cake? Of course. My play of the week felt pretty clear. When I seen it last week, I was like, that could be one of the plays of the year. Um, obviously, friend of the podcast, Zach Lomax, you know, I, I declared that I'd be a bandwagon dragon supporter as my second team this year. I was watching them on Sunday night against the Eels, and it wasn't, wasn't their best outing. And... You kind of know a team's having a good day, like Para was, when crazy plays just come off, and that Bryce Cartwright jumped to catch the footy, flick pass out the back in one action, Mitchell Moses trying the corner. I was just like, you can't go past that. Yeah, it was that type of night for the Dragons, where like the moment it started happening, you could be like, they're going to score on this. Like I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know they're getting over the line for sure. And. I guess we'll get into the NRL a little bit later, but Parramatta, very impressive, and that play in particular was just wild. <laughs> Absolutely. For my play of the week, March Madness wrapped up this week. I know we didn't talk about it a lot here, but it was pretty much all I, all I was watching for the last sort of month. Mm. The national championship probably wasn't the best game, but the game before that, North Carolina versus Duke, one of the biggest rivalries in sport. We're talking like top, top level. Those teams hate each other. Coach K... Famous coach, coach of the Olympic basketball team for probably like 20 years or something. He said this was his final season. And how does he go out? Taken down by his most fierce rival, North Carolina, in the only time they've ever met in the NCAA tournament. It was amazing to watch. That hurts because you know you'll probably not get that opportunity back for a long time. Like as a team, in that setup, that system... You're like, fuck, it's going to be a long time since until we can like get revenge for that. Just because of the magnitude. It wasn't just because it was their first meeting. That would have been a big grudge match anyway. 
but you get to send home the coach that you've been going up against for the last two decades, three decades. So do you feel like a Duke loved or hated? Hated. Yeah. Uh, They always have good prospects. Like if you're a basketball player and you want to go somewhere, you obviously look towards them. Is that where Zion come from? Yeah. Yeah. Zion, Kyrie, RJ, yeah. Yeah. Incredible pedigree, but they always end up being the bad guys. Yeah. So it was amazing to see UNC pack them up and send them home. Well, I like to support bad guys, so maybe I'll, I'll jump on the Duke. Yeah, you, you would. You would. I would, eh? I would. Um, but yeah, two great plays of the week. And as you would know, if you've listened to some of the, some of the recent shows, we, we like to get into the NRL nice and early now. We do. We're in season. Round five, you know, last night, first game. And I guess before we get into round five, we'll, we'll talk a bit of round four, yeah? Yes, sir. A few wrap-ups. So, who do we have? Who was the first game of the week? First game of the week. Titans beat the Tigers. Yeah, look. Inevitable. You'd put your house on it, wouldn't yeah. you? Yeah. No, I don't think a single person was shocked at this one. They're probably the one team this year, the Tigers, that, for me, hasn't shown any real hope yet. Like, I've, I remember saying at the start of the year, teams like the Cowboys, Newcastle... The dogs maybe were teams that worried me, but they've they've showed a little bit of hope. Like they've had good moments, they've had wins, they've they've stood together as a team. The Tigers are just so far just much of the same, and, and they honestly look like they're shaping to be the wooden spooners this year. Wolf, yeah, for those teams you mentioned, for as bad as they they are expected to be, at least they had somewhat of a path forward. It yeah. might be shaky, it might be hard to believe in, but you could see that they tried to lay some groundwork. Tigers just seem like they're sitting there waiting for God to drop something in their lap. Like, yeah. it does them feel like they're trying to get better at this point. It really speaks to the importance of recruitment. They've just not done a good job at, at holding players or signing players these last few seasons. And you know, unfortunately, I think 2022 season for Tigers fans is going to be a rough one. Well, I think it even comes back to the organisation as a whole. Like, I think there are so many red flags in that organisation from the ownership to the coaching Players can see and smell that stuff a mile off. Everything that we know as fans, players know 10 times as much. They hear it from the guys that have been around it. And I think every every person in the NRL right now knows, don't go to the Tigers. It's not going to be good for you, your career. It's pretty much a dead end. What do you think needs to happen for... Because here's the thing, right? You look at teams that struggle in the past, they might go sign a few good players. Tigers is obviously, like we just said, a, a destination that no one wants to go to. No one's booking flights to go to Tiger Town, right? What needs to happen there in that organisation to overhaul the issues they have and start to attract big name players or even just solid rugby league players? Is it clean out coach and, and the board? Probably, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then just, I don't know, invest in your youngsters. I think a lot of NRL people are really starting to lean towards buy. But like if you can actually build something up from the ground, that shows potential for agents that you're committed to winning. Yeah. You're not just trying to get out the checkbook and bring in all the best pieces. You're like, we want to build an actual culture. You want you want something guys can buy into. For sure. And Tigers are the Tigers supporters are proud supporters. Oh, absolutely. It's a proud area. You've got two great areas that have merged to to form one team. And I think, you know, you've just got to look at the success of Penrith. And you see that team now, the reason they're so good, the reason they're so confident together is even when a piece of the puzzle like Cleary is missing, there's a guy who comes into a really confident system. Yeah. A system that, while Sean O'Sullivan might have been from the Roosters, going to the Penrith side, all the pieces of the puzzle around him in the first few games of the year had played together for so long 
there's just an air of confidence and it's you go and you do your job you play good footy yeah and you know you, you look at the Tigers and you think they've probably got to start investing in those juniors but also you know I'm, I'm not a fan of removing a coach from a system that hasn't had success like immediately because yeah. I think there's got to be some ownership on players too um, you know who are being paid to go out there and perform but I think when you get to a point where it's not just a success on field the success off field is, is lacking in their recruitment in the belief that other rugby league players have in, in them turning the tide um, you know I think it's time to, to change things up and I wouldn't be surprised if by mid 2022 season or end of this season at the latest there's some changes to the Tiger system well, yeah, they. I don't know. You can't. You can't go down from here. I guess. Yeah, well, that's it. You got to bounce off the bottom somewhere. Um, nice way to spin it positively. <laughs> I like that. Next up, the Sharks beat the Knights. The Sharks might be a bit too early, but they're looking very, very good. Shaping very well. Newcastle have been good in their first couple of games. Um, I wouldn't say they've been. I think maybe we all hype Newcastle a little bit too much after the Roosters win. Might have jumped the gun one. a bit. Um, I watched, I watched them last night and they had a tough night last night in Newcastle in the wet. There's still definitely good pieces of their puzzle. I'm, I'm a big fan of Jay Clifford and Adam Clune together this year. Um, they've got plenty of talent around them if that talent performs. Um, but the Sharkies look good. They look very informed. Big game for people that watch games to watch the hot players. Nico Hines versus Kalen Ponga, obviously. Yeah. A lot of wet underwear around the country watching that game, a I reckon. A lot of wet underwear. Mine included. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Next up, the Panthers beat the Rabbitohs. Yeah, look, that was um, much, I guess, much of what we expected. Yeah, Penrith are just that outfit that I, I love coming into this season. There was so much speculation about whether you'd get... Because quite often you get these young teams that go on a run and then they have that like post-championship season where it's the just hangover like a little bit, the yeah. hangover. And they don't perform. They've just looked so polished from round one. And I think people forget that this Panthers team were runners-up before they were champs. Yeah. Like, this isn't just a one-year thing. Like, this has been a couple of years of building a team that's performed in the system, maintained pretty consistently across the board the same side every week. And, you know, everyone said, oh, you know, Matt Burton's going to be a massive loss, um, which he is. He's a fantastic player. But Tago's come in and he's fantastic. He's absolutely on fire this year and... They just look even better. And I think we could be looking at a Panthers team who may be exclusive of the origin period, go undefeated. Could be, could be. I definitely think that they are definitely in sort of like dynasty mode at the moment. Yeah. They won last year, obviously. You used to talk about before that they were finalists. I think we talk about a, like a hangover. That could almost be next season because that's when we know that they are losing a few of their real key pieces. Kickout's yeah. obviously out of there. They'll struggle to keep some of the guys because everyone that plays a part in a championship team inevitably wants more money. So I think it's not the last run by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that hangover that we're talking about could be more in store next season than this one, I reckon. The thing that I love about Penrith, right, is if you look at their system, and I think the thing that will help them long-term is obviously their big money ticket is Cleary. Yeah. He, and rightfully so. He right now, for me is the best player in rugby league. And that's a big call coming from a Roosters fan, you know, when he got Tedesco. But I think Cleary's job, the way he's he steers the team around the paddock, kicks so well, ices two points at the end of every try, 
always stands up in a big moment, always wants the ball in his hands. For me, he's the best player in rugby league right now. Yeah. Undoubtedly. I can see that. Then you've got Jerome Luai, who's just as talented and is allowed to be a little bit more sporadic and a little crazier with a footy, and he does it very well. And he's going he's gonna to demand big ticket come next contract. But the one player that, for them, kind of flies a little bit under the radar, and he'll get good money, and he, you know, he'll want money secured in a contract, but he's not a flashy player, is Dylan Edwards. Yeah, I was just thinking that. The way that he sits in there and he's such a key at fullback for them is... You, you watch any time Penrith play, that guy is hovering around the ruck, waiting for any offload, any little gap. He's, he's so meticulous and he's such a... He's almost an old school fullback where he doesn't have to ball play that much because you've got guys like Luau and um, Cleary. He can just float. Yeah. Just float and be in the right position at the right time. And when you're allowed to do that... And you don't have to be on ball all the time. You can just be watching. You can be really effective as a fullback, and he's got great fitness to do it. So, you know, hopefully they keep, you know, as much as I'm not a Penrith fan, I love watching Penrith play. So I hope they keep a great side and continue to put on a show for us every week because it's, it's a fucking pleasure to watch. Absolutely. Dill Edwards, obviously, many tipped him as the best player in last year's grand final. Yeah. Good to see his back sort of doing his thing. Next game up, the Warriors beat the Broncos. That was a pretty ugly match yeah it was for me I was on I was on the fence there I was like if Sean Johnson was playing I'd pick the Warriors yeah but he's not then he comes on in Jersey 24 <laughs> um, I wish I'd watched the, the lineups and changed my tip before the Warriors we spoke about it they're a team that I think has got a lot of talent there and I reckon SJ is the key for them this year he looks mature yeah um, and he, he probably he's probably in a position where he can play his new style of footy really well in this Warriors side. So I just hope that they can keep an injury-free team because I think they'll be one of those teams that we spoke about, you know, just like playing that game around the eight spot yeah. and testing other teams. And, you know, they're the games that... We spoke about it yesterday. I had... Um, nobody would see it yet. It'll be out on Monday. But I had Zach Lomax and his two best mates, Joshy and Jimmy, on the pod. All footy fanatics. Um, and we are just talking about you know, rugby league and their journeys. And the one thing we spoke about when we were talking a bit of footy was Zaki said that um, their coach, he said, Hook says that you play five great games a year, five shit ones, and then you have all those other games, which are the ones you just got to get the two points. And it's, and it's probably a really true reflection of what the game is for a lot of those teams who aren't the top, top tier teams. Yeah. Is it's so important that in those close messy games you find a way to ice it in the end yeah and if you know quite often they're decided by four points or less you know that they're messy games this was one of those games that was really close and kind of swayed back and forth you know but if you can just continue to get those two points you find yourself in a position at the end of season where you're playing for finals and you know it'll be interesting to see which teams can continue to sort of keep that pressure on all year Definitely. The Warriors coach after the game credited Sean Johnson a lot for like, obviously he was their big fish in the in the free agency this year. They put a lot of their chips on just him and his veteran leadership and also just his play, hopefully being able to buoy them. And look, how good to see the Warriors back in NZ. Oh, absolutely. Like absolute homecoming for them. They're very hard to beat over there at home. And I just think it's... The, the one thing that people probably don't appreciate, right, is... 
the Warriors, the Warriors are in a tough position being, you know, rugby league is the second sport in, in New Zealand, right? Rugby union is, is almost like a religion to them. Yeah. But let me tell you, every single rugby union player over there in New Zealand gets behind the Warriors. <coughs> every rugby league fan in New Zealand loves the Warriors. Yeah. They are so loved by their supporters that to be back home is just going to boost their confidence so much to be around their families, to feel like they've got some sort of normality again. I think their best footy is ahead of them, and I really hope they do have a great year. Absolutely. Next up, the Seagulls beat the Raiders. Yeah, that was one of those games that I kind of thought could go either way, but Raiders being the Raiders, they just decided not to play that day. Yeah. you know, it's it's hard with Manly. They're, they're a team that, like, you know, we we skipped forward to this week, last night. Yeah, we'll cover yeah. that if you want. We'll go yeah, we, we can the cover two it. Eagles games. Well, last night they looked good in stages. It was a very messy, sloppy game. There were a lot of errors. You know, it's very wet footy at the moment, which we're going to see a lot of this year. Yeah. Very wet footy. But they got a little lick of confidence in the last 20 and, and really got a roll on and put some points on the Knights. And, you know, they put some points on Canberra the week before. They're yeah. one of those teams that when they get it together, they look good. But there were definitely moments last night where I was thinking, it's been much the same for the Chooks this year, I don't know if you're a team that can contest with the best. Especially at the moment, Tom Trevojevic is out with that. He's having surgery, so he'll be out for like a month, I think. He's had a yeah. knee injury or something. Unfortunately, I think that's the story of Tommy Turbo, isn't it? Like, yeah. We're getting so used to seeing that guy on the sidelines and not on the field. They definitely play their best footy with him, um, you know. And albeit they got a win last night, I just I just don't know if they're going to be the team they were last year. I don't think you can, you know, because last year they started slow yeah. and they really come into their own late in the season. But I don't think you can do that year on year. And I think we're looking at a we're looking at a competition this year that's definitely more level. Like, if you don't win, like we said, if you don't get those two points when you should be, um, you don't make the eight this year because yeah. I think it's going to be highly contested. Whereas last year, there was kind of four good teams. Yeah. This year, there feels like there's six or seven. You know, like the Sharks are on, Parramatta's on. You know, I think, I think we're going to have a different competition this year and I just don't see Manly being up there. Yeah, it's tough. I considering the injury they took I think it was a good win just for morale like proving that they can do it without their main dude but like you said last year was kind of this Cinderella run out of nowhere this momentum builds and they ride it yeah you can't you can't will that into existence you can't sit there and be like all right we're going to do it again it kind of just happens to you 100% so I can't I like you said I can't see them turning around this year and doing it again and you know what as as much of a fairy tale that story is it never plays out like Great example, 2010 Roosters, really late run. Todd Carney's in form, <coughs> get to the grand final, get absolutely laid out by the Dragons. Yeah. 2009, right. <laughs> hey, don't, don't, don't forget they it. They brought that up in the podcast yesterday. <laughs> I was like, you can't be going back to fucking 010 for reference, right? 09, Parramatta, really late run, Haynes on fire. Get to the grand final, Melbourne put a score on them. Yeah. Last year, similar story with Manly. They didn't get that far, but they go really far, nearly get there. Turbo's on fire. But if you shut Turbo down, that team hasn't built enough as a team. Yeah. And I think I think the teams in this competition that win are the teams where there's strength across the board and real consistency. Yeah. So 
that's kind of my play for Manly this year. Roosters beating the Cowboys. Yeah, look, you know, we're, we're a team of two halves at the moment. And last week we were fantastic in the first half. You know, there were. You, I think you texted me at one point saying, God, this could be 100 points. It like, was. It got to half time and they were laying it on him. I expected to wake up and see it would be like 60 nil or something. Well, to be fair, it got, it got to probably 30 minutes and we're laying it on them. And then we kind of. We slowed down. It was, it, it was funny because we're. We're typical of a slower second half. Yeah. It's, it's been a real Roosters thing to do. But we're a real confidence team. And the one thing that worries me about the Roosters is when rocked early in the game, like if we concede early or we have a try disallowed early, we almost switch off and get a little bit in our own head. Now, we scored early last week and then we started to play on confidence. Yeah. We're a real confidence team. And I don't know if that's a good thing because undoubtedly in this game where every try is reviewed now, like any try that's blown by the referee is reviewed by yeah. um, the bunker. You're gonna have tries disallowed. You're gonna be picked to pieces. Footy's wet at the moment. You're gonna drop the ball a lot. Just the game isn't gonna go how you plan it all the time. And I don't know if we're a team that this year can compete. I really hope we we can, but I'm trying to look at it objectively. I just there's players that I think are, are just. Like, guys like Joey Manu, every week he's fucking outstanding. He was, yeah, he was incredible in that game. So good in that game. And even the weeks where Joey doesn't put the points on or make the big attacking plays, defensively he's so good. And he's got all those one percenters. And the way that they've structured the play this year so that he can float and be almost like a second floating fullback in those attacking sweeps makes us very dangerous. Yeah. But there's just something this year that just doesn't feel like the Roosters team have passed. And I know it's early and I hope I'm wrong. Um, but I kind of... I like the look of teams like Parramatta and Cronulla. And obviously Melbourne, Penrith. Yeah. Um, more than I like our prospects right now. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it doesn't feel like they're in that usual spot of that one, two, three like behemoth team. Like yeah. They feel like a good team who are going to catch a lot of guys. But they do feel a little bit shaky to what you said. Like... Probably the two biggest worries for me are, you know, the the Roosters tend to spend a lot of time defending their line. Yeah. Like, we give away a lot of metres in in attack, and we spend a lot of time on our line, and we back our defence. The issue is, when you spend a lot of time on your line, if you turn the ball over, you've got to get down your end. Right now, our two halves aren't strong kickers. They're definitely not strong kickers. If you look at most teams, they've got a strong kicker in their halves. You know, like, you've got a Cleary, you've got a Jay Clifford, you've got a Daly Cherry Evans. Both our boys don't kick the ball all that well. So it's very hard to turn over metres. You're really making it hard for, you, for your middles and your outside backs who are trying to come off your line. Then you've also got the prospect of, well, every try is potential six points. We're only ever secure in four. We've got potentially the worst goal kicking in the league. Like, I've never seen... I've, I've seen better from 12-year-olds. Like, it's... It's honestly disgraceful. And it blows my mind. I had this conversation with, with a mate this week. You look at rugby union, a fly half is useless if they can't kick a goal. Yeah. How the fuck do we not have someone in our halves that can kick a goal? I love those two boys. They're great players. But... If you can kick a footy, surely you can put it on a tee and fucking kick it. Yeah. You'd think it's one of the things you'd most want to address, like... I'd be interested by the end of this season, add up all the missed field goals and see sort of 
where that leaves you. Like, I reckon you'd be shocked with how, how many points you're leaving on the board there. Here's my thing, right? And I might get crucified for this, but I'm, I've been saying all year, one of our best players, most consistent players last year was Adam Kieran. Adam Kieran is not a centre, but he played in the centres, played fantastic. Maybe he was a little off the pace in defence at times, but as far as his goal kicking and his consistency of play was, he was great. Now, I don't know if we're seeing the best of Paul Momorowski at the moment, but I almost feel like Adam Kieran's potentially a better fit for that role. I'd like to see Kieran get a shot in the centres, and at least you know you're kicking... Like, what's the average amount of tries scored in a game per side now? Three to four? Probably around that, yeah. So that's potentially six to eight points every game that you miss out on. How Another many games are decided much, yeah. by less than that? Like, to me, that's a, that's, that's a big play to have someone in your team who can kick goals. Yeah. And right now, we just don't look like there's any hope in converting anything. And most tries are scored for the Roosters. Out on the wing. Scored yeah. out on the wing. Got a guy like Daniel Tupo is a massive target. Kicking the ball to him all the time. Like, just makes sense. So, that's kind of my rant on the chooks. But, you know, fuck it. I hope we pull it together. Because, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud Roosters man. So, it'd be nice to get another another big year in the, under the belt. Just one one of the funny things I've ever seen from that game was Rooster score. Cowboys get desperate, try and do a short onside kick. Win the ball back. Do the five roosters score their next their yeah. next set of five just fucking ramming it yeah. down their throat. It was yeah. it was tough to watch. What was also tough to watch was the eels beat the dragons. They obliterated yeah. the dragons. We spoke about it a little bit in that play of the week. There, it was just it wasn't the dragons night. No. But Parramatta looked very good. I thought potentially it was the best performance we've seen from two halves this year. Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown. Yeah, Moses. So, so good. He blew my socks off of how good he looked. It's crazy because that's a guy who, in a world where Nathan Cleary doesn't exist, he'd be an origin half. Yeah. In a world where he does exist, he's going to put some pressure on Nathan Cleary to keep playing his best footy. <sighs> Big call. Big call. No, I don't think he'll beat him, but I think he'll just put pressure on him to keep playing his best footy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's nice to know that you've got a good, a good second option there for, yeah, for New South Wales. but. I really like Dylan Brown too and the dynamic that those two have. It's like we said just before. It's very similar to Cleary Luai where where you got a guy who is a really structured halfback, great kicker of the footy, really steers the team around the park and then you've got a guy who can do all of that but be a little bit more sporadic with the footy, run it, have a nudge, kind of go late, dummy, go the line. And Dylan Brown showed how effective he was with that last week. He made a few line breaks and, and really troubled the Dragons' defence. They just look good this year. And, and I like that they don't exactly have, outside of their spine, Reed Marnie is fantastic. He, he's got to be the origin hooker this year for the Blues. He's so good. Outside of that spine, there's not a lot of big names. But they pull it together very well. They've yeah. done very similar to what Melbourne have done in years of past build a great spine and build good structure around them. And with good structure and good ball, like you can make your centres and your outside backs look really classy. And I was maybe, that was my worry for them at the start of the season. Did they have enough class out wide and in their forward pack? Doing a very good job so far. Well, I think it's just a culture thing. Like you can tell they're winning and they're having fun and everyone's in on it too. Yeah. Like it doesn't feel like they're having to like dredge themselves out into the field and play. Like they're young, they're energetic, they're enjoying it. 
I tell you what would be a grand final and a half. What's that? Parramatta Penrith, the Battle of the West. Oh yeah. Wouldn't that be a game to watch? They have to shut down Sydney for like three weeks, I reckon. I wonder when they play because both those teams in form at the moment. What a great battle! I'd I'd love to see that live. Yeah. Um, we missed one, so I'll just jump back. The Storm obliterated the Bulldogs, forty-four nil. The Pap looked incredible. Fuck, he looks so good. Both physically and playing the game too. Yeah. Another game where there were plenty oh, of yeah. undies. Oh, yeah. Um, he just... He's... It's the same thing. We're in an era where Ryan Pappenhausen unfortunately has James Tedesco and Tommy Turbo to compete with for an origin spot. But arguably, for me, he's more talented than those two. But definitely, because he's still coming. How old is he? Like what? He's young, man. That's it. Give it he's a year young. or two. Tedesco will be in a retirement home and then, you know. Quick story. Shout out to one of my good mates, Tommy Bartz, who um, was quite a great footballer and, you know, had a lot of injuries and a bit of bad luck in his career. But he was at the Tigers. Um, he was one of their... I think every team has... I'm not sure if it's changed the last two years, but every team has like a group of five that are in their top 30 mm-hmm. who are under 25 years of age. And there's like a special contract system there. And um, Tommy and Pat were two of those five players. And Tommy was talking about playing, you know, that, that junior's footy. And he's like, he's a halfback. And he's like, just knowing that you pass on the ball to Ryan Puppenhausen and how good he was then. Yeah. Um, he's just like, was just an absolute fucking joy to, to be out there on the field with him. And you look at what he's doing now and he, he's, he's such a great footballer. He's, you know what the thing is? He's got so much guts. Yeah. For the sort of size he is and the build that he is, he puts his body on the line every week. And I just really hope he he stays healthy because he's going to be one of the stars of our game for a long time. Yeah, he looked unreal. Has he just re-signed too? Possibly. I'm not 100% sure. Because Melbourne have been on a run re-signing a few of their key players. They locked up... There was one of three. They announced three Yeah, it was Hughes, Grant and someone else. And, you know... On that note, Jerome Hughes and Harry Grant are two of the fucking best to do it at the moment. Jerome Hughes is fantastic. We're, we're in such a weird era of footy where you look across the board and there's so many good players in key positions. Coates Plus, mate, was the third one. Coates, okay. So I don't know if Pap's re-signed or not yet. I'll have to yeah. do a bit more research on that. So if anyone could pick him up. i tell you, I tell you where it would be cool to see him go. The Dolphins. Oh, yeah. Like, they need to attract some players like that because they're having a tough time at the moment. Not that surprising, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, it's weird. It's like you th- I thought they would have drawn a few more signings with a coach like Wayne Bennett. I wouldn't be surprised if, sort of, towards the end of the season, a few more names want to get know, get this year done. Then go. You know what I think it is. I think it's kind of like people prefer to be sheep yeah. than shepherds, right? Like, if you can sit back and wait a minute and go, mm, who are they signing? Oh, okay, there's a bit of talent there. Yeah, all right, get my management to start talking all now. But especially if you are a big name, you don't want to get caught in an island. You don't want to be like, I'm going to go and be the franchise player for this team and then they can't sign anyone and now four years of your career you're wasting hitting it out at the bottom of the ladder because they couldn't bring anyone else. Like, you want to know... That's, you always see it with new teams and new franchises. They build up the bench and the role players mm. and that's when the big names start. Like, oh, we've actually got something good here, now I'll come over. It might take a year or two. It's, it's interesting because... Unless the, the money's crazy. Well, the strategy of the strategy of their selection will be quite interesting. Like, do you go for a an old head who's in the last two, three years, kind of like the Roosters done with Cooper Cronk, 
Do you, do you get someone like Cooper Cronk, bring them into a system to have two good early years and build players up around them? Would be Or bad. do you buy young and do you develop over five years? But I think it's it's almost nice having a veteran in the side who can mentor some of the... They almost become a coach too. Yeah, definitely. To some of those younger halves. And I think you've got to, you've got to look, in terms of your big money, you've got to look to your spine. Yeah. Like you've got to have... You've got to have a good seven. If you don't have a good seven, if you've got a young six and seven, you need a great nine and maybe a more experienced fullback. Um, you know, you've really got to look at that dynamic between one, six, seven and nine and particularly six, seven and nine because that's what structures the way your team plays. Yeah. And they're the confidence players. They're the ones that when they're on, the whole team's on. And we've seen that this season already <clears throat> in the NRL. So, you got a hot take for me? Hot take for my hot take for this week. Um, let me have a look. Who have we got coming up? For me, for me, my long term hot take is that. For me, my long term hot take is that I think our top four at the end of the season may very well be Storm, Panthers, Para, and Cronulla. That like feels that, the way it's going. To be that honest, that feels the way that it's, it's moving. It feels the way that the momentum is. I'm even going to step up and say that I think this could be the year that Parramatta get to the big game. They're just showing really good early signs, especially if they don't have an injury in those halves and at hooker with Marnie. Yeah. They look so good. They're they're more complete than what... I love Nico Hines, but they're definitely more complete than what Cronulla is. I know Cronulla got them by two points a few weeks ago, but I think... As they build, like you'll see that it feels like Cronulla were riding Nico a little bit. Like he has a bad game, which gets that all go down. Like a bit. we said, that's that superstar complex, right? Yeah. Like you can only survive on a superstar for so long before the team needs to do a bigger job. Yeah, they got a great team. Like I like their their <coughs> hooker as well, Rayleigh. He's talented, but yeah, um, you know the, the Eels are a more complete side, especially in their spine. So that's kind of my long-term hot take um, for this week. For this week, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a play and say I reckon I could nearly I got last night wrong, but I reckon I could nearly get the next seven games right. Here he goes. So let, let me give you some fucking magic here. So the Warriors will do the Cowboys today. They're at home again, off the back of a great win. They're just gonna ride that like crazy. The Cowboys have lost confidence. Yep. The Roosters will do the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Bronx are a bit down and out Chooks yep. off the back of confidence We're the better side Storm will be the Raiders yep. You know Say less Rabbits, Dragons I hate to say it Because You know I'm all here for my boy Lowy But I think um, I think the Rabbits will be a little bit too strong in that one I think it'll be a closer game than people expect though It's always a great game those two Gold Coast and Para Para will ice that game easy Cronulla will absolutely roll over the Tigers and the Panthers will beat the Bulldogs. No upsets. Brave brave pick for picking. No upsets. You always got to go with one, I reckon. No, you know why, though? Because for me, wet weather footy. Yeah, that's true. Those big players stand up. They kick well. And I think a lot of those teams that I picked will will be the better kickers. They'll set up their play. They'll hold the footy a little better. You know, in the wet, I like to go with the favourites. Let's say that then. I will be bringing. I will be bringing this back up next week. Yeah, and, Trust. and please do. I might even put a multi on. Seven <laughs> All right, we'll jump into some basketball, some NBA quickly. Before NBA, I'll just recap March Madness. As I said before, Kansas National Championships just too good in the end. 
they end up against North Carolina championship game. North Carolina were an eight seed, which I think had they have won, would have been tied for the lowest seed to win the championship. Wow. I think they got up 15 points on Kansas at halftime, but Kansas came out of that second half and were just just too good. They just clamped them. I think they got back those 15 points in, what, three, four minutes. Who, who for you at the moment is looking top, top dog? As in like, in like for drafts and stuff? Yeah. So I think there's two guys that you could feasibly have one or two in either way. And there's a lot of NBA draft media that don't have these two in the top two, but I think it's bullshit if you don't. I think we're really overthinking it. Chet Holmgren from Gonzaga, he's like 7-1. He fucking... I think he can be like a 40% three-point shooter. Yeah. Unreal rim defender. Just, I think he's going to be one of those alien guys that's going to go out there, play like a point guard, but also just be gigantic. Yeah. And then Paolo Banchero from Duke that we talked about. He's, what, like 6'8", fucking looks built like a brick shit house, just so strong. Mm, similar to me. He'll just come into off. the NBA and be scoring 25 points a game his rookie year. Like he's, yeah, okay. And that's the thing. Paolo will be more ready to go straight away. Chet might look a bit dicey for his first year or two because he's going to be skinny. I think he might get bumped around a bit. Yeah. Personally, I have it Chet Paolo. But I could, I'm could. i here for any arguments of Paolo Chet. So can I ask a question then off the back of that? Who looks likely to get the, the first two seeds? I think Houston are looking bad. Oklahoma, obviously. But the way the NBA has rejigged their lottery odds, they wanted to stop teams tanking, so they've made it more level. So we can see random stuff happen. Like when Pelicans got Zion, they were like probably the fourth or fifth worst team. But it's okay. just how the lottery works. I actually like that. It's better. The, the tanking feels like a real issue come end of season. Yeah. And I think as a fan, you'd get shitty with that. Yes and no. As someone who just had their team tanking for like three, four years, it gets draining, but you also know when your team's not there. Like the Bulls weren't competing. They weren't going to make playoffs. Yeah. At least when you're tanking, it feels like you're building towards something. Yeah. If you're a shit team, but you're trying to win games and you're still finishing 12th every year, it's kind of like, what are we doing? Yeah. But again, because of these lottery odds, it makes it a lot harder. So I think Houston and Oklahoma are probably the two worst teams, but we don't yeah. know who's going to get that stuff yet. Can I just say quickly, on on the topic of your team in particular, the Bulls, you sent me a video yesterday. That video was DeMar DeRozan being tested by Serge Ibaka. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tested to see how strong his friendship with Kyle Lowry was, right? And it was, if you, don't, if you call Kyle and he doesn't pick up, you have to drink this glass of cricket juice, right? And he's like, man, I hope he picks up. He calls him and two rings, he answers. And he's like, I've always got you. Never in doubt. You know I've got me. Never in doubt. And it made me think that if I was sat in front of a glass of cricket juice, in, in fact, if the both of us were, and Serge Barker said, hey, guys, it's Friday morning at 7.30. If Liam Duffy doesn't walk in the door... <laughs> You have to drink this cricket juice. We'd be sculling I hate to it, say eh? it, but we'd be sculling We'd be juice. pumping litres of it. We would be pumping <laughs> litres of cricket ah. juice. Bring, to, bring back the duff. Bring back the duff. On the topic of the Bulls, I'll chat about them quickly. It's been a fucking horror end of the season. They clinched their playoff spot. They can't finish any lower than sixth because Cleveland have just... They've had a lot of injuries, so they're... With their loss the other day, Bulls clinched the sixth spot. But they're like 5-15 and 15 in their last 20. We just lost back-to-back to Milwaukee and Boston, who are going to be one of the two teams that we're going to have in the playoffs. 
Yeah. The wheels have fallen off the wrong moment. We always struggled with top teams. I think we're 0-16 against the top four teams in the league or in each conference. But just this last month has been horrendous. I just... I don't know what's happened, but it's... It hasn't been good. I can't see us winning a playoff series. And now I'm getting very worried for free agency because Zach Levine is a free agent. Okay. And he will be heavily courted. Yeah, it's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's almost... Like you said, it's our first year that they've had some sort of chance. Yeah. But then it's also like if players feel like, well, what do our chances look like next season? Do they jump ship early? I think a lot of it is Vucevic. Yeah. He came into the Bulls as a 40% three-point shooter. This year he's shooting 31 or 32%. Okay. That's a blip. I think next year he'll get back up to near his averages. He's just having a really bad down year. Yeah. But I tweeted it last night. The Bulls are this unique organisation where, like I said, we tanked for five years. All of a sudden, we're back in the playoffs. We have one of the best teams ever, but still managed to make me feel shit about the way they've done it. Remember, yeah. I was coming in here sort of January, December-ish. We were number one in the East. I was just feeling good, feeling awesome. Yeah. They've managed to get to the playoffs, but I still feel terrible about it. Like, I don't know how they've done it. Well, I think they gave you so much hope so early, right? Like... I almost feel like that they did it to themselves almost. Like I feel like they got that number one seed, then kind of went, oh, sick, we actually are good and started coasting a bit. And then Boston came out of nowhere, Milwaukee, because they were obviously cruising because they won the championship last year. Everyone came on in the second half and the Bulls kind of got caught and they're like, oh, shit, like are we still playing for it? Boston looked fantastic. They would, I can see them making the finals if the chips fall the right way. They, yeah. like we talked about their defense two weeks ago, our last episode. They've continued that every bit more. Yeah, it's it's so interesting to see. Like we said, it's eighty-two games is a long season, and when you see that shift, it's like there's no surprise that things change. Yeah. Like you know, you can see how much changes in twenty-six rounds of a rugby league year from round one to round twenty-six. Man, you, you, we're talking nearly quadruple that. You mm-hmm. know, like triple that. So it's yeah, it's crazy. Um, our main man, Ben Simmons, officially will not be back until the main playoffs. If the Nets are in the play-in, he probably won't play in that, still having those back issues. Mm. Actually, talk about the Nets. Quite interesting, probably not interesting to many people listening, but my old boss was at the Nets-Knicks games last night. Wow. Yeah, at Madison Square Garden. God, that, cool experience. that would have been a good game to be good at. Good seats too. Oh, yeah. Just behind the, um, just behind the rim. <laughs> so, yeah, Nets are looking... Not as good as everyone thought. Kyrie came back. They changed the Brooklyn laws. But I think Kyrie had the benefit of only playing once a week. And when you're an NBA player and you can be fresh and rejuvenated and play once a week, you can look incredible in those games. Now he's back to playing every second day. He's come back down to earth a little bit. Brooklyn don't look terrible, but they haven't looked like this juggernaut that I think we all expected once they got their dudes back. They'll be in the playing game. I think they'll obviously make it out of the playing game. But it'll be interesting to see how they go in a first-round series against a Boston or a Milwaukee or even a Philly, depending yeah. on how the seating ends up. Maybe Philly's got a chance. Philly, Brooklyn would be my dream series. I'm calling in sick every day it's on. Yeah. I'm fucking closing the blinds. You just want to see it. I'm just sitting on the couch. Get the popcorn. Watching the absolute drama unfold. Turn off the cell. Exactly. Exactly. I'll be unreachable. Uh, talk about a juggernaut falling from grace. The Lakers. Oh, boy. Out of the playoffs. Oh, boy. Out of the playoffs... Just, just shocking. We Is that all the knew. Biggest disappointment of the season. Probably one of the biggest 
in like the last few years, to be honest with you. Yeah. And the thing is, we all knew it was going to happen. The moment those signings were announced in the off-season, like, those did, oh, we're doing this Westbrook trade instead of Kuzma and Montrez Harrell and stuff. Oh, we're signing Melo again. Oh, we're bringing Trevor Ariza. Everyone knew. Everyone that wasn't overthinking it was like, these guys are all old. They don't fit together. Yeah. LeBron plays a very certain way that needs a supporting cast around him to do certain things, and you don't have that. You didn't re-sign Caruso, who... He's been on a bit of a slide since he came back to the Bulls, but he's still a much better player than the guys you have. And yeah, they went from, oh, well, if they're a six seed, it'll be right, they'll avoid the play-in, to then, oh, they'll get in the play-in, it'll be good, maybe they'll shock the team. And then, yeah, in their last game, blown out by Phoenix, uh, San Antonio officially in over them, or I think New Orleans as well. Can I ask a question? What's Bron's contract situation? This is last year. He's gone for sure. He's fucking gone. <laughs> He's so gone. I heard a thing the other day. He said he'd love to play with Steph Curry. Yeah, and then Steph got asked about it and yeah. didn't seem very keen, if I'm honest. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you feel like maybe LeBron's still so good, right? But maybe he's at that point now where he's just going to ditch, try to find a super, another super team oh, he can slide into. So he's 37. His next contract will more than likely be his last real contract I can see a world where he's 41 and he signs like a one or a two year as yeah, like more of a role player to play with his son somewhere yeah or, but yeah. this will be his last contract of any real value I'd say who who looks likely to try and pinch someone like Braun I can see a return to Cleveland on the cards yeah they're this, it's kind of what happened the last time he went they're this really young plucky team they got an all-star point guard and another all-star big they've got Mobley who's coming up LeBron could almost be the missing piece for them if he does want to go back there. Yeah. Apart from that, I'm not really sure. Golden State, you never say never with Golden State because everyone said the same thing when KD was a free agent and look how that turned out. Draymond's been on every fucking podcast under the sun preaching about how much he loves LeBron and how he wants to like ditch his game to go watch LeBron and this all this sort of stuff. And with LeBron saying he wants to play with Steph, it's definitely possible. Yeah. I don't think it's likely, but... Can I can I ask, if you're LeBron James, right, just think for a second, you're tall, sexy, 37-year-old LeBron James, right, sitting in your mansion in LA, someone goes, hey, do you want to go to Cleveland? Mm, I'll pass. Well, that was the thing, that was a lot of the reason he decided to sign with LA last year was, he said it was a lot about lifestyle and stuff. Yeah. But when you're a guy like that as well, you're uber competitive. You can't turn it off. Yeah. And if so three of the four years, first year he missed the playoffs completely. Second year was the bubble where they won. Last year they got beaten in the first round by Phoenix. This year he's out of the playoffs. I think everyone on that roster has got long-term-ish contracts. As much as, yeah, living in LA is nice, you can still do that during the summer. Yeah. When you're playing in a season, you're only at home about half the year anyway. And... As much as it's Cleveland, it's the fucking nicest part of Cleveland you can imagine. Yeah, for sure. I'm not saying it's a lock, but I'm just don't be surprised if he yeah. has his fucking second home. And coming. then it's almost like it, it kind of it's a narrative too, isn't it? The fairy Absolutely. tale of bronze back where he belongs, and yeah. Cleveland fans are ecstatic because they've got their main man back. Yeah, I get it. And LeBron's a sucker for a fucking good narrative too. Yeah, bloody oath. Um, probably last thing about the NBA. We're nearly there. We're nearly in the playoffs. This last month of the fucking regular season has just been just eaten away at me. But the Utah Jazz look like the wheels are coming off at the wrong spot. They're losing tough games. 
Donnie Mitchell and Rudy Gobert seem like they're heading toward an unceremonious splitting. Yeah. Someone put a stat out the other day that I think Donovan Mitchell is averaging two passes to Rudy per game. Not assists, just physical passes. He's only passing to him twice a game. Yeah, okay. Which when you've got... have got issues there. Rudy's like 7-1, pretty much unstoppable. That's an insane stat. Yeah. Politics in the team, it can... It can take a team from great to fucking terrible. Yeah. Well, there was there was rumours for a while that those two were sort of clashing, but you get those rumours whenever there's a good duo, so I think a lot of people took it with a grain of salt. Yeah. But now it sort of seems a little bit like, okay, maybe these are real. And for the Jazz, I wouldn't blame them if they just blow it up. They've made the... They've been a 50-win team six out of the last seven years, and the furthest they've made it's the second round. They're just... Their formula isn't working long-term. Yeah. And now you've lost Joe Ingles, who is their best shooter, a good floor spacer. Definitely would have been a locker room guy as well. Like, For you sure. know, like this sort of old Aussie guy. Like, if guys were taking themselves too seriously, he'd be the first one to be like, "Ah, oh, piss off, stop being a dickhead." And like, yeah. guys take that to heart. So you get rid of him, the tensions build, the team's underperforming. I don't know. I can see a world next year when neither Donny or Rudy are in Jazz uniforms. Wow, it's a bit cool. We'll see what happens, but I just, I don't know. Unless Utah just want to keep being. Pretty average. good, but yeah. not winning anything because they're not going to win this year. And you know that's no one's goal, right? Yeah, you see it all the time. Teams they they hit their ceiling at like forty five, fifty wins in a second round exit. The goal is to win a championship, not to be pretty good for a while. Like I got a lot of respect for guys. Like you look at those OKC teams, they had that Chris Paul team with Shea where they got to the first round. They probably could have done that for another few years, but you're not going to win a championship. So they said, "Fuck it." Traded him, stripped the team down. Now they're trying to properly rebuild. Yeah, that's awesome. Hot take. We talked about it a little bit, but with the playing games, the San Antonio Spurs will be the 10th seed. So they'll have to beat whoever's in ninth and then beat the winner of, I mean, beat the loser of seven and eight to make the playoffs. I think they can do it. They look really good. Spurs are coming good at the right time. DeJounte looks awesome. I think yeah. the Spurs will be the eighth seed. Pop, back on top. God, yeah. How good. <laughs> Bit of combat sport. Bit of combat sport, hey? So we had... Um, well, first, let's talk about UFC. Let's talk about UFC first. A little preview for this weekend. Our guy, Alex Volkanovsky. The local champ. Alexander the Great. The Great. He's going up against Korean Zombie. A fight that has really been spoken about for a long time. Yeah. These guys have been trying to tee this up for a while. And Volk just looks so... I, don't, I just don't know if there's anyone in that featherweight division that will ever be able to beat Volk. He's... No. Especially what he's like, he's beat Max twice now. And whether you, you know, like I said, I was maybe on the fence about that first win. But he looks so good in the second fight. Then he's come out against T-City, been in the absolute fucking guillotine of doom and escaped. Yeah. And then just beat him up. He just looks so unbeatable. He's beaten Jose Aldo. He actually made a big call this week. On one of his interviews, he said, I've beaten every featherweight champion the UFC's ever seen. Because Jose Aldo was first. Yep. All I have to do is beat Conor McGregor, and I've completed that. Yeah. And I can I love see that being that a good idea. fight. I don't think it would happen at featherweight. It'd have to happen at lightweight, because Conor couldn't get down to 145 again. But there's no reason why Alex couldn't step up. It'd be interesting to see how he fights that heavier weight. Because that's the obvious infamous Alex story. Is he used to be like... 90, 100 kilos is like a rugby league prop. 
would have no problem with power. No. It would just be interesting to see how fast he is. Yeah, his mobility. Um, the thing is, McGregor's quite tall and rangy too, compared to Volk. So it would, he'd have to address that a different way. But Volk's got a great chin too. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he stood and <coughs> traded with Max. So, you know, I, I really hope he gets through this weekend unscathed, which I think he will. I think it'll be a, a clinical Volk performance. He looks unreal in the photos from Jacksonville. He got over to the states a little bit earlier than he usually does. Mm. But he looks so fit, so healthy. I was watching some of their training footage yesterday <coughs> on Countdown. Yeah. And just the way that Joe trains him and the way that he puts him in really unpredictable situations and guys coming in and out and just putting pressure on him, wrestling him, taking him to the ground, you know, boxing him. It, it just looks like he's really well prepared for this fight. And he seems super he, he said he's almost more nervous for training than he is for fights because he knows the pressure he gets put under yeah. at training so um, I think we're going to see our, our Wollongong champ have his hand raised again and that belt remain in his hands yeah Korean zombie <clears throat> I just think he's too old I don't think he's a real championship guy I think yeah. he's obviously at the moment kind of like more of a fill in anyway just because there's no one left Yeah. but I just I don't think he's got it Touch wood, I don't want to fucking jinx him, but yeah. this feels like probably the easiest matchup in a it's championship his fight, fight he's had. For a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And look, that card this weekend um, looks to be a really good card. You've got the the rematch of Aljamain Sterling and Petty <coughs> Arm, and you know Aljamain got that belt very controversially. Oh yeah. Um, Peter looked far better than he did on that night, so. I wouldn't be surprised if Yarn walks out with a belt and we've got a yeah. new UFC champion crowned. And, you know, that's going to be a fantastic fight. So bring on this weekend's card. Yes, sir. Next week we'll be here to wrap it all up and take 100%. you all through it. Bit of boxing. Friend of the pod, Harry Garside, took his first ever Aussie belt in a dominant performance. He's just so good defensively. He's so quick. Um, the one thing, the one comment that I've seen from a few people was maybe... Um, a little lacking in power, but I think that's just the way that Harry fights. Like, yeah. you know, the the style of amateur boxing that he's come from and that Olympic boxing is, um, it's very like it's it's point driven. Yeah, you're trying to tag him. You're trying to tag. Really go for the knockout. And, you know, and to be fair, you look at a lot of really good fighters when you've got ha, has is there's fit and then there's fucking has fit. So he stands at the end of every round. He never sits. Yeah. And at the end of twelve, after standing at the end of every round. He wasn't even breathing heavy. He looked like he could have fought another fucking 50 rounds. He is so, so fit. It's it not even funny. didn't stop moving once. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And the, the amount of dedication he puts into training, the way he looks after his body nutrition-wise, is <coughs> there's no surprise that that's the result. And I think when you've got that fitness, you back yourself to go 12 rounds. You back to, yourself to tag. Yeah, absolutely. To, to put points on, to defensively move where you need to. To be... And here's the thing, right? If you tag a guy enough gets to a certain point in the fight where he starts to wear away. Yeah, they add up. And so they add up. And I think, you know, we've seen... There's UFC fighters who do a great job of that. Colby Covington being one of them. Guy with an insane cardio. Never really throws 100% into a punch. He's always hitting you at 50 60%. He's just tagging you. Eventually, it wears away at you. And I think over time, Haz will just get more powerful. Yeah. Now that he's, he's fighting in the pro ranks. Um, and that will start to put the pieces together. But you know, why change when you win it, right? Absolutely. One note, though, got to change the haircut. I don't know what was going yeah. on with the double ponies, but the double ponies. Got to sort that out. He's he's a man of he's a man of very unique taste has, and I like he's very confident in it. I like it. 
Oh, it, everything off the court, the hair looks sick. I just don't know why it was tied up yeah, like that. Tied up like just that, braided yeah. or something. Yeah. And then we've been talking about it probably every week for the last six months. I think it's officially official. George Cambosis and Devin Haney will fight at Marvel Stadium. Yeah. In June, I think it is. I seen a great post the other day. It was um, bloke in a bar put it up. He'd interviewed George, and it was a photo of like the RSL that he'd yeah. fought his first fight at, and um, a photo of Marvel Stadium, and you know to see him walking around in a stadium that's going to sit tens of thousands of people and will no doubt sell out. Yeah. And I believe there was a clause in the contract that said any rematch, like if he loses, a rematch will take place in Australia. Yep. So we're um, getting at least one, possibly two, Cambosis title fights, which will be amazing. pretty sick. And look, I hope to God that we don't have to see that second. I, I really hope he comes out victorious yeah. and has has many belts wrapped around his shoulders by the end of the fight. And, you know, I'm backing him. He He's just such a tough dude. He's such a hard worker. And it's a fight, you know. It, without wanting to wish the months away, it's a fight I can't wait to see. Yeah, I feel you. Interview I saw he did the other day. Someone asked him, George, when does your fight camp start? And he said, the day after I like won my last fight. And he really means that. He's we t- we talked about fit athletes and stuff a lot in this section. He's probably one of the best. He's always in the gym. He really has like the biggest chip on his shoulder. So he's always working, always getting better. Well, I think when he was on Rogan just after the fight, he'd mentioned that he'd been in the gym the next day. Yeah. Like it's just which is psycho. The work but... ethic's insane. But... <clears throat> But it's not surprising because it's a guy who probably didn't get his chance as early as he should have. And he fought so hard for so long and, and strung so many good fights together. You just build this level of consistency where training becomes your life. Yeah. And like, unless there's a real reason why you can't be in there training, you're doing something. And he's the type of guy that no doubt, if there was an injury in his leg, he'd be doing something with his arms. Like, he, he's, not, he's not the kind of guy who fucks about and just rests on his laurels. Like, yeah. He's a very hard worker, and I think that's why we're going to see a long-standing um, champion. Yeah, it'll be, a, it'll be a very good fight, and I just I, my gut says he'll win. I, I think it'll be a 12-rounder. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't see a knockout. Like, he, did, he put Teo down, but, like, yeah. I think the same as Harry almost. I don't think he's looking for that that one knockout punch. Like, he's no. looking to put in the points, outlast the dude, outwork them sort of thing. Yeah, he's a, he's a fantastic boxer. Like, he's, his technique, his skill set, the way he moves, the way he defends. I fucking love watching him fight. Off-season, bit of NFL. Main one, something you'd be very happy about, I assume. Yeah. Bobby Wagner of Seattle Seahawks fame has signed a five-year contract with the Rams. Yeah, the, the NFC West remains... In the NFC West, yeah. um, but he's just playing for a better side now. So, goes from copping the L's to grabbing the W's, and you know, great addition <coughs> to our defense, especially after losing a guy like Von Miller. Yeah. And you know, you, you, you want to have a strong. We pride ourselves on our on our good defense, and to be fair, as a defensive superstar, um, there is no other like Aaron Donald. So, you know, when you've got an opportunity to go play in an AD team, you go play in an Absolutely. AD team, right, if you're a defensive guy. So, massive signing for the Rams and just strengthens what we've been saying for a long time now. It could really be one of those back-to-back situations. Yeah. Real tough for the Seahawks. Their guys are just leaving left, right and centre. Obviously, yeah. Russ is gone now, Bobby. But hopefully, they'll rebuild. 
Yeah, I think DK came out in an interview the other day and he was like, you know, it feels like my opportunity to stand up and be a leader of this team. And, yeah. you know, it's hard. A wide receiver can only be so much of a leader. Um, like we said, you're only as good as a man who's throwing you the ball. But, you know, the, the Seahawks have got an opportunity to rebuild. They had a lot of great years with Russ Wilson in the driver's seat there and um, Pete Carroll. But um, it's time to, man, it's time to sort of overhaul and, and bring back some pride to that Seattle side. Yeah. Um, like you said, DK is very vocal about how he's not leaving. So they've at least got that. And they might not be winning many games, but they've got their guy they can latch on to. And I think that's what matters the most if you're a sports I, fan. I just want to say quickly, I've seen an interview with him. He's fucking such a good looking dude. <laughs> like, no homo. That guy is just like, the hair is always on point. Always got good earrings in. Yeah. Always stylish as fuck, ripped and shredded to the nines. I seen a thing the other day where he reckons he eats one meal a day and, just like and a has bag, three yeah. to four bags of lollies. That's insanity. That's that sort of diet you can only have if you're a pro athlete. Yeah. And that's why you see so many dudes retire and then two years later they're like 300 kilos yeah. heavier because... Well, I think... I, I, I feel like with DK, there's the... Yeah, obviously the pro athlete burns a lot of calories, requires a lot of fuel... But I feel like that's the kind of dude that at like 60, you're going to see him in a suit and he's just going to look fucking jack still. Yeah, I can see that. He just like won't stop going to the gym and he's stuff. he's probably just a freak. Yeah. So. That's all I had for off-season, unless there's anything else you can nah, think of. No, that's it, really. And then we wrap every week with the fit of the week. Who we got? Shout out to the Women's March Madness winner, the South Carolina Gamecocks, and their, ho- their coach, sorry, Dawn Staley. Won the national championship wearing a Louis Vuitton bomber jacket worth $4,000, I think, and matching Louis shoes. She just looked absolutely unreal. I love it. Look at that for you. Give us a... Woo! The varsities are in this season. They're coming back. They're coming the va- back. I was actually messaging my mate Joey Plum yesterday. You know, Joey. Stylish man in Wollongong. Very stylish man. The Zoolander. And I said, keep an eye out on any good varsity jackets yeah. for me. I want one. I want to cop one this season. But you know what I don't want to do? What's that? I don't want to just roll into general pants or universal and get the same varsity jacket that everyone in Wollongong is going to be wearing. I'm back. You know how I go on like, I feel like I go on like a month where I'm really into style and I'm watching heaps of people who do fashion-based, style-based content on YouTube or TikTok, Instagram. Back in one of those phases. I did see that you spoke to me about you were going to get really into wearing your sweater vest. You wore it when you met the Prime Minister, so at least you, yeah. you carried through on your word there. Yeah. My nan wasn't as impressed as I was. She said... Should have been um, wearing a suit. I can quote yesterday. I went down to see my nan. She asked me to show her photos of me and the Prime Minister. Again, and she goes, firstly, haircut's disgraceful. <laughs> You're meeting the Prime Minister, Brad, like, he probably thinks you're an absolute scruff. And I said, well, Nan, ScoMo doesn't have hair. I yeah. can't imagine he's judging me for mine. And then she said, and what's that stupid jumper you're wearing? Absolutely ridiculous. It looks terrible. Oh, and I was shit. like, he's there to talk about the life-saving drug yeah. that I now receive and me running two marathons with bleeding lungs. I doubt the thing on his mind was shit sweater vest. Yeah. Oh, but um, you never know. But you never know. You, you, you <laughs> he never seems know. like that sort of dude. <laughs> you never know. So, to be fair, ScoMo's social media team reached out to me this week and they're coming to Wollongong to film a reel for his Instagram page um, featuring yours truly. So, maybe I'll ditch the sweater vest and get a new cart. Maybe that's where you can wear your varsity jacket. Weather, but I would hate that even more, I reckon. But <laughs> hey, like we're here for it. 
Perfect. Another week of sport. Another week of sport. A big one to come. Just want to say thank you to all of you guys who tune in. Um, one thing that we love on this show, and I know I say it all the time, but nobody ever sends any feedback. Like everyone just says, yeah, it's great. But like we'd love some feedback on the structure, on things that you like, maybe don't like. Because we want to make the show better. We want to make the show something that you enjoy listening to every week. Now, we've probably got to put our hands up and say, we apologise for a little bit of inconsistency. Yeah, been a rough few weeks. It's been a rough few weeks and out of our control in many ways with COVID and isolating and that sort of stuff. But um, we really want to bring you some consistency with the show these weeks to come. And, you know, we want to make sure that the, the platform is something you enjoy. So reach out, give us some feedback and we look forward to bringing you guys a great show every week. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in. That's us. Take care. Thank you.